The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. You're watching Sportbox. We are live from the London studio. Steve is in Warsaw as President Biden rallies allies to stand firm with Ukraine. And Sylvia is in Stockholm covering the push towards NATO accession. Here are your headlines. The Dow closes down nearly 700 points in its worst trading day of the year, while Treasury yields touch fresh highs as cautious outlooks from key U.S. retailers spark worries over consumer demand. The Bank of Japan announces more emergency bond buying after the 10-year JGB yield breaches a key limit for a second straight session. Russia, meanwhile, threatening to resume nuclear tests and suspends a landmark arms control treaty with the United States amid tensions with the West. This as President Biden here in Warsaw promises steadfast support for Ukraine. Our support for Ukraine will not waver. NATO will not be divided and we will not tire. President Putin's craven lust for land and power will fail and the Ukrainian people's love for their country will prevail. And the Swedish Prime Minister has invited the Finnish President for a security summit in Hampstead, west of Stockholm, as the US has urged Turkey to approve their NATO memberships. Elsewhere, Microsoft pushes EU regulators to approve its $69 billion acquisition of Call of Duty maker Activision Blizzard. While Microsoft President Brad Smith tells CNBC he's hopeful Sony will get on side. If we can get a deal done with Nintendo, if we can get an agreement with Nvidia, it should provide a path forward that others like Sony can build on as well. So a very warm welcome to the programme this morning. We've got a lot going on in the programme. We will take you back out to Steve and to Sylvia and catch up with the NATO story. And we've got a number of corporates that are reporting through our programming hours, so we will have plenty of C-suite for you. But the market's probably the big story overnight, Karen, and the uh, reaction we got to some of those retail earnings numbers quite interesting, given actually they still indicate that the U.S. consumer is spending. Indeed, Jeff, a huge focus still on where the economy is at. And don't forget, investors had a, a raft of data points last week that was stronger, wrapped up the week somewhat choppy, had the Monday session off for President's Day, returned for the Tuesday, and you can see it was a pullback, the biggest sell-off sell we've had so far for 2023. Markets very much reversing, big-name stocks like Apple, for instance, leading the charge lower, but also Home Depot on the numbers that you just cited, the consumer side. And effectively, what we saw, some disappointing numbers crossing to an extent, investors is seeing that uh, Home Depot missed on revenue expectations for the first time since November 2019. Some of that optimism really fading now around uh, consumer spending on products also at warm-up. Again, we saw the trading down from higher uh, consumers. That is not seen necessarily as a positive. The uh, investor community also looking at another data point. We saw business activity recovering to its highest level in eight months. So some of those stronger signals, again, a negative for the pace of rate hikes from here. The increases that we could still see 
from the Federal Reserve, but also the higher for longer story as a result, the reversal. Let me take you to the VIX. You can see the step up in volatility that's taken place too. Still uh, low, lower levels, relatively speaking, but it was a pop, 7.7% higher. Home Depot and Walmart, this is how the two stocks perform. You can see a reversal for Home Depot, down 7% at this stage, but uh, Walmart guiding higher, six tenths on the stock price action. To Treasuries, we have stepped up since the Friday trade on these yields at the two and the 10-year, 4.67, where we're trading at the short end, almost uh, just off that 4% mark at the longer end, just six uh, basis points shy of the 4% mark. I want to take you to dollar, strength in the data, really propelling green back forward yesterday, also sterling. Morning session, it's euro trying to wrestle back some of that uh, lost ground from yesterday. So if you look at the trades, we're 121 now on sterling, just highlighting that strength that we got to yesterday. Euro dollar around the 106.5 mark, dollar slipping versus the Japanese yen this morning, also climbing though versus the yuan, so somewhat mixed across the boards. To WTI Brenton Gold, the trades are like this. Oil trades are lower, half of a percent, six tenths roughly. To the Asian markets, uh, this is the early trade. You can see it is a weaker day across these markets. Caution is prevailing. You're seeing that in particular around Japanese stocks this morning. U.S. President Joe Biden says the U.S. and NATO allies will continue supporting Ukraine, adding the war has hardened Western countries' resolve to defend democracy. In a speech at the Warsaw Royal Castle in Poland, Biden warned of, quote, hard and bitter days ahead, but said Kyiv stands strong against the aggression. His remarks come in stark contrast to his Russian counterpart, President Putin, who accused the US and the West of turning the war into a global conflict. In his annual address, President Putin claimed the West started the war and announced the Kremlin's withdrawal from the last nuclear arms control treaty with the United States. Well, President Biden's visit to Poland came in a week that marked the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In his speech, Biden said Putin was wrong to suggest there was weakening support for Ukraine. One year into this war, Putin no longer doubts the strength of our coalition, but he still doubts our conviction. He doubts our staying power. He doubts our continued support for Ukraine. He doubts whether NATO can remain unified. But there should be no doubt. Our support for Ukraine will not waver. NATO will not be divided, and we will not tire. President Putin's craven lust for land and power will fail, and the Ukrainian people's love for their country will prevail. Well, let's uh, catch up with Steve in Warsaw, who was there for that speech. And Steve, uh, what did you make of uh, President Biden's language? I guess there was a lot in there that we were anticipating. But how does it pull together, do you think, the allies who are currently supplying uh, offensive technology now to Ukraine? Yeah, I, I thought it was a very interesting speech and uh, dare I say it looked very much suspiciously to me like a campaign speech. I'll come to that in a few moments time. Um, look, what wasn't in there? Let's just get straight to that. There was nothing about F-16s, despite some people in the crowd uh, mentioning those, dare I say, it, back to the president uh, during this 
very, very orchestrated, glittering speech as well. It didn't mention the uh, the Russians pulling out of the START nuclear treaty as well, so it didn't refer to that. It did refer quite a lot to what Vladimir Putin offered and what he offered, uh, according to... Um, according to Mr. Biden, was darkness, was autocracy, was the enemy of freedom as well. It was a very stirring speech in many ways, very energetic speech uh, from Joe Biden, who said, look, there's no sweeter word than freedom. He picked up the gauntlet uh, that had been thrown down earlier in the day in that Putin speech, which you alluded to there, and talked about the benefits of Western democracy versus autocratic expansion. He talked about the longevity of the West. A key thematic this week is that actually um, the, the, the West is saying, and Joe Biden's been saying both in Ukraine, in Kyiv and here in Warsaw that the Russians expected the West to fracture, the West to fold, the West to not stay the course. So longevity and long-term united support was a key uh, part of that speech yesterday. He actually very robustly quoted Article 5 talking about an attack on one was a solemn over and an attack on all. Article 5, of course, of the North Atlantic Treaty, which is very apt, of course, because in the building behind me today, by the way, which is the presidential palace. They will be talking about that with the eastern flank members, the so-called Bucharest 9. I'll come back to that as well in a few moments' time. And also addressed um, what Putin uh, had said earlier in the day, accusing the West of creating inflation of global food shortages, saying, no, 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 that is very much what the Russians had done, and saying, no, 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 his words were the only words that autocrats understood. And, um, uh, and, of course, made allusions to autocrats of the past as well. What I thought was very campaign-like about it was the orchestration. They were handing out red, white and blue beanie hats. Uh, there was lots of, of, of symbols in terms of the colours as well, lots of blue and yellow, lots of red and white, of course, from Poland, but also lots of red, white and blue as well. Uh, and there was a beforehand an almost a concert-like atmosphere. And afterwards, uh, he went off to uh, a, star, a sky full of stars from Coldplay. I've been to a Coldplay concert. It felt very much like that as well. But in terms of why I thought it was a campaign theme as well. Well, how about this? He said the decisions we make over the next five years are going to determine uh, and shape our lives for decades to come. Well, what could possibly happen over the next four to five years? Oh, yeah, uh, a campaign plus then a presidency as well. Uh, and this is very interesting. And this was picked up by our colleague, uh, NBC DC reporter Jonathan Allen, when I was reading his copy today. He said he alluded to darkness, not light as well, when talking about our commitment to allies. That's what he said yesterday. But of of course, that refers also to his acceptance speech at the Democratic Convention back in 2020 when he said and accusing Donald Char uh, Trump's um, administration of choosing darkness over light in America as well. So definite allusion there to potentially an announcement to come about running maybe. OK, so I mentioned uh, the rest of, of NATO and the Bucharest Nine, the eastern flank, who are meeting here today. I'll go through the nations one more time for you. Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia. Now, Latvia is one of the countries I went to on my, on my, my tour of the Baltics earlier on uh, in 2022, early in the war. But this time around, I've been speaking here in Warsaw to the president of Latvia, Egil Levitz. And I asked him about, well, did he see a route out of this war? Uh, he heard the speeches from Putin and from Biden yesterday. What did he make of it as well? Why don't we listen in to the president of Latvia? The visit of uh, uh, President Biden in Kiev. Uh, signal to Ukrainians that uh, the West, U.S., is with Ukraine in this uh, in in in, in this uh, fight against aggression. A signal to Moscow that uh, America will support Ukraine. 
and a signal also of the unity of the West, unity of uh, NATO and the West in general. I think uh, in in one day there was two absolutely different signals, two different speeches, Uh, so we uh, see that uh, uh, the West is uh, prevailing, also there is nothing uh, what uh, Russia can offer, and uh, we uh, will, we, I mean the West, Latvia, of course, but also the West as a whole, and NATO, and of course United States, will support uh, Ukraine uh, till uh, the victory of Ukraine. But um, there is Western support to maintain the fight against Russia, um, but is there any way that you see, in the short to medium term, that this conflict can end. This conflict can uh, end when uh, Russia uh, will go back to their own internationally recognized borders. Without that, uh, the conflict cannot end because there is very clear on the one side there, there is an aggressor, on the other side there is a victim. And the compromise between the uh, aggressor and the victim cannot be something in the middle. So it's clear that uh, the aggressor should go back, uh, obviously by force. Uh, Ukraine uh, should and uh, obviously also will uh, push back Russia. And then uh, there, after that uh, there could be a peace. But uh, there is a problem that uh, the Russian aggression is uh, ideology. That means that uh, we should count in, in, uh, in uh, the next future, maybe for a longer time, with an aggressive Russia and our, uh, as, as I mean, Western um, uh, doctrine uh, should be developed so that Russia uh, will not attack against. Because uh, the lack of real reaction after the Russian attack to, uh, to Georgia 2008 le- led to the next attack uh, against Ukraine 2014. Also very weak reaction and uh, that, uh, this provoked uh, 2022 this full-scale invasion in Ukraine and we should not make uh, this failure again. And that was Egor Levitz, uh, the uh, president of Latvia. I thought it was very interesting asking him later on, maybe we'll play some of that sound as well, about what he thought about the chances of Sweden and Finland, of course, getting their NATO approval, because at the moment Turkey is the sticking point. Uh, and he said, look, I think Turkey will accept that it is interest of all NATO countries, including Turkey, that they join, of course. And once Sweden and Finland are, are, are in NATO as well, take a look at what the Baltics looks like for the Russians as well. Again, their, their fears of enclosure may well be exacerbated. Right, that's it from Warsaw for now. Let me hand it back to London. But Karen, I'm handing it back to you, but I'm slightly concerned about you because I think you sound like you need a lot of hot drinks from the team this morning with your throat. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Well pointed out. Uh, But you set up nicely for us as we talk about some of those Scandinavian countries as Sweden and Finland's plans to join NATO remain stalled. Turkey and Hungary have blocked their accession after Russia's invasion of Ukraine pushed the two Nordic countries to rethink their long-held policies of military non-alignment. But a breakthrough could be in the offing, with Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban proposing a parliamentary debate on NATO next week. In his Warsaw speech, Biden reaffirmed America's commitment to the NATO alliance, calling it rock solid. 
President Putin ordered his tanks to roll in Ukraine, he thought we would roll over. He was wrong. The Ukrainian people are too brave. America, Europe, a coalition of nations from the Atlantic to the Pacific, we were too unified. Democracy was too strong. Instead of an easy victory, he perceived and predicted. Putin left with burnout tanks and Russia's forces in delay and dis in disarray. He thought he'd get the findalization of NATO. Instead, he got the NATOization of Finland and Sweden. He thought NATO would fracture and divide. Instead, NATO was more united and more unified than ever, than ever before. Let's get out to Sylvia, who is in Stockholm. Sylvia, we've got the Swedes, the Finns and the Norwegians meeting today just to run us through what some of those key discussion points will look like. That's right. There will be a security summit among those three nations later on today, just an hour or so from the Stockholm from the Stockholm city, I should say, where we are this morning. But I want to take a moment, Karen, to look at what has happened here in Sweden over the last 12 months, because it is really a significant change in foreign policy. This country had for more than 200 years chosen non-military alignment. That in practical terms means that Sweden had chosen to be independent when it comes to its military policy. But with Russian invasion of Ukraine, that came to, uh, to change. And indeed, we saw Sweden alongside Finland sending that NATO application back in May. But at this point, though, we're still unsure when Sweden and Finland will actually become full members of NATO. And there's two countries, really two reasons behind that. Both Hungary and Turkey have yet to ratify these countries' accession to NATO. Hungary, as you mentioned earlier, has indeed said that it's going to vote and discuss the accession in the coming weeks. We're expecting Parliament to vote on this issue at some point in March. But when you look at Turkey, though, it's still very unclear when Ankara will actually approve these two accessions. For the time being, though, there's been quite a lot of tensions between Ankara and Stockholm in specific, because let's not forget that Turkey, for instance, asked Stockholm to have more extraditions of uh, Turkish politicians from here. There was also heightened tensions back in January when a far-right politician here in Stockholm burned the Koran outside of the Turkish embassy as well. So let's see when Sweden, Finland, NATO and Turkey will resume conversations about their accession to NATO. For the time being, we're still unsure, but I'll be asking that to the Foreign Affairs Minister later on this morning at 8.30 CET. So join me for that first on CNBC interview. All right. Terrific. Sylvia, thank you for that. Uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping will reportedly visit Russia within weeks to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin. This according to the Wall Street Journal, which is reporting that uh, planning is now ongoing. The leaders are expected to discuss the war in Ukraine with China reportedly set to push for peace talks and renew calls for no use of nuclear weapons. China's top diplomat Wang Yi is currently in Moscow, where he met with the head of the Russian National Security Council, Nikolai Petrushev. Wang said the China-Russia relationship is, quote, rock solid, 
while uh, Petrushov said the two countries must stick together in their fight against the West. Uh, Wang Yi is due to meet uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov today. Still to come, Microsoft signs a gaming distribution deal with NVIDIA among uh, amid rather scrutiny over its proposed Activision acquisition. And for more on the market action as Wall Street sees the worst day of the year so far, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Microsoft has announced it will bring its Xbox and PC games to NVIDIA's cloud gaming service after Microsoft President Brad Smith held talks with EU officials over the company's planned acquisition of Activision. The proposal has prompted criticism from governments around the world, with the UK's Competition and Markets Authority the latest to say it opposes that plan. Microsoft says the deal would be good, however, for competition. Well, Arjun is in a fairly dark Brussels by the looks of things this morning. Arjun, just, just walk us through the competing arguments here and whether Microsoft can prevail. Well, the EU Commission uh, at the moment is concerned about a few things. One is that this deal could reduce competition in the video games market and they're, co they're concerned that if this deal does go through, Microsoft can make some of those big Activision games like Call of Duty exclusive to Microsoft's own platform. Again, the Commission arguing this uh, could reduce competition. Microsoft, on the other hand, argue that, well, look, Sony and Nintendo have dominated the market for so long. We're just a small player and we've, uh, we're still quite behind the likes of Sony. So this would only increase competition in the market. And what you've seen uh, over the past few months is Microsoft make that argument and make moves to try to allay some of the fears of regulators. Yesterday, it signed a 10-year deal, legally binding deal, with Nintendo saying that it will commit to bringing Call of Duty onto Nintendo platforms over the next uh, few years and it announced a 10-year deal with Nvidia saying that it will bring its Xbox games to Nvidia's GeForce Now cloud gaming service. It said if the Activision deal go does go through it will bring Activision titles to Nvidia's GeForce Now cloud gaming service as well. Now this is interesting because Nvidia was initially against this deal so Microsoft managed to bring Nvidia on its side, it's managed to bring Nintendo on its side but it's still having a bit of a tricky situation with the European Commission. I had a chance to catch up with Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, and asked if they've made any more moves to bring the EU Commission on their side at this point. Let's listen in to what he had to say. I definitely cannot speak for the European Commission, but I do think today is a good day for gamers around the, the world. Um, you know, today we've announced two agreements, one with Nintendo, the other with Nvidia. Together, this will make these games, especially Call of Duty, available to 150 million more people around the world. I think if you're a competition regulator and you're focused on the interests of consumers and competition, today was a good day.
Uh, and and Sony, you know, that's the, obviously the big competitor here. You've not managed to sign any agreements with Sony as of yet. Are they still very much object to this deal? Have you got any closer to getting Sony sort of to to any kind of agreement or, or on your side at all? Well, I live with the hope that we'll come to terms with Sony. I think that would be great for consumers around the world. We're not there yet. But I do think as we make progress with others, if we can get a deal done with Nintendo, if we can get an agreement with NVIDIA, it should provide a path forward that others like Sony can build on as well. And it's not just this, of course, EU case. You've got the case with the FTC in the US, the CMA over in the UK, lots of hurdles here. How concerned are you at this point of this deal just completely falling through, just given the number of large regulators still very much against the deal? I think we have a clear path to get this deal done. And today takes us a huge step forward. I think for regulators to be able to look at this deal and recognize that it brings a game like Call of Duty to 150 million more people, that has to be good for competition and consumers. But more than that, I think these two agreements together really provide a model for regulators, those that want to have regulatory controls in place. We've been equally clear we're open to doing that. I think that's the path forward. And the CMA over in the UK, arguably, arguably perhaps one of the toughest opponents here, uh, they've offered some sort of remedies. And one of those is actually, you know, suggesting to divest the business associated with the Call of Duty games. Is that something you're considering right now? We really don't see a feasible path to sell off the Call of Duty game. It wouldn't be inexpensive. It just isn't something that seems to be lining up. It's far better, in our view, to bring Call of Duty to 150 million more people. The only reason to sell it off is the CMA's potential concern that if we buy it, we won't provide it to others as broadly. I think that concern should be dispelled by the two agreements we've signed today. Just want to highlight a few things about this deal and the challenges ahead for Microsoft. NVIDIA's GeForce Now gaming platform has about 25 million members. Microsoft's own cloud gaming platform, Game Pass, also has about 25 million subscribers. So the strategy here from Microsoft really is about trying to get its games across as many platforms as possible rather than sort of keeping it into its closed ecosystem. And that's really what it's telling competition authorities globally here. And it's showing that with the NVIDIA and Nintendo deals as well. But again, a number of challenges ahead. The biggest hurdle perhaps the UK's competition and markets authority which has given Microsoft some interesting options in order for this deal to go through one of them as I asked Brad Smith in that interview was about divesting the business around Call of Duty he said that's just not feasible and that has set, sets up Microsoft a big clash with the UK CMA going forward and also they've got a case over in the US with the Federal Trade Commission as well around this deal so a number of regulatory hurdles still to overcome right now before this deal could pass at all. And on top of that, its biggest rival, Sony, still opposed to the deal. There was an interesting moment in the press conference yesterday when Brad Smith held up a piece of paper and said, I've got the deal in my hand, ready for Sony to sign, similar to Nvidia, similar to uh, Nintendo when they're ready to sign. But clearly, Sony's still not ready to play ball at this point. So Microsoft very much on a big charm offensive here to show competition authorities that this deal will be good for gamers and good for competition, but it still has big opposition from regulators around the world, guys. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.